The Yesterday and Today podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun compilation of chronological source materials as they pertain to the Beatles. The show is in no way affiliated with Apple Corps, nor any organization connected to John, Paul, George, or Ringo in any way, though we do consider ourselves premier members of the Bungalow Bill fan club. So kick back, turn off your mind, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yesterday and Today, 1969, Episode 34, June through September. To capitalize on the press John and Yoko are getting from their current bed-in for Peace Week, Apple releases a new Beatles single. May 30th, 1969, the Beatles released their 20th single, The A-Side, The Ballad of John and Yoko. It turned out more boogie than ballad, and was John's justification for whatever he and Yoko had been up to, and the last to feature the combined talents of Lennon and McCartney. On the record, Paul helps John out on the vocal and plays drums, piano, and bass. The other Beatles are not present. Paul and I made that right. record. He played bass and drums, and I played guitar and sang. Nice work on the drums, Paul.
ballad of John and Yoko. Again, John gets crucified for a reference, this time in the chorus. The reference to Christ made many programmers of radio stations reluctant to play it. Resulting in a restricted airplay and more flack from the fans. The B-side was a song of George's which was recorded four days after the A-side. He started the chord sequences on the piano, which George really doesn't play, and then began writing ideas for the words from various opposites. Yes, no, up, down, left, right, right, wrong, etc. in Montreal, Canada, on the last day of the bed-in for peace, John is ready to start the recording session for his new peace anthem, Give Peace a Chance. 
Here's Elliot Mintz. The session took place the afternoon and evening of Saturday, May 31st, 69, day six of the Montreal Affair. Between 40 and 50 press people and guests were packed into Suite 1742. And British pop singer Petula Clark was one of them, though she's not often mentioned in accounts of the session. Pet was in Montreal performing an engagement at the Place des Arts. Another guest in the room, local record company exec Bill Rotari, clearly recalled Ms. Clark being there because she was wearing an eye-grabbing miniskirt. Now, someone often named as a participant but who actually wasn't there when the tape was rolling was Gotham DJ Murray the K. That question was cleared up by a number of on-the-scene sources, including CFOX Radio's Roger Scott. The only two disc jockeys who were there were myself and a guy called Dave Patrick from another Montreal radio station called CJAD. We were the two actual radio people who were in the room and actually on the record. I remember Tommy Smothers being there. I remember there was talk the whole week about whether or not Dylan was showing up. That was a very strong story for the whole week that uh, Dylan was going to show up in the bedroom, but of course never did. And as Roger and everyone else on hand settled into their places, John led them through a few quick last-minute rehearsals. Roger added that the higher consciousness contingent was well represented. Along with Tim Leary, the League of Spiritual Development guru, and his wife Rosemary, who were seated at the foot of the bed. The local Harry Krishna chapter was in the room with their instruments, uh, their drums and their cymbals and their tambourines. And representing the more orthodox religions were a priest from the local Catholic church and a rabbi named Abraham L. Feinberg, who was in from Toronto for the occasion. According to a Montreal Gazette story by reporter George Radwanski, Rabbi Feinberg had been a singer and radio performer as a young man. The day before, Friday, when the rabbi stopped in to praise the Lenins for what they were doing, he and John had hit it off famously. At that point, Lenin was still polishing off the lyrics for Give Peace a Chance. And when he saw Feinberg enter the room, John ad-libbed a phrase about rabbis. Then the rabbi suggested a reference to bishops. So Lennon threw one in and to show his appreciation, invited Rabbi Feinberg to return this day, Saturday, to take part in recording the tune. Well, put together, the chorus of mostly untrained voices in the room sounded a shade ragged, but it was a joyful noise nonetheless. And aside from the Krishna's percussion instruments, only two acoustic guitars were used on the original session, John's and the one played by Tommy Smothers. There was everyone that was involved in the peace movement and were... Uh, kind of the groupies of the Beatles we all were, you know, and we still are. Tom Flash is back on the scene in Montreal for us with a little help from his bro. Lennon gave me a guitar and they were sitting in the bed and I uh, got on the bed and started playing it and uh, give a piece of chance. Real simple chords and I, I was said, well, I think I'll fill in to myself. So I filled in some inversions, some different chord inversions. And I was doing some passing chords, doing some slick stuff. And he stops in the middle and he says, Tom, play exactly like I do. I want you to play exactly like I do. It sounds better that way. And I was really kind of smitten there. Kind of put me down. <laughs> John was playing all the open strings the simple way. <laughs> so we recorded it in the bedroom of the Montreal Hilton or whatever hotel on eight, we were on in. On an eight-track machine, which on, you had brought up to the room, I gather. Up to the room, yeah. And there was like, you know, people sort of clapping along and singing on the chorus. And if you hear the record, it's funny, actually, because my rhythm sense has always been a bit wild. <laughs> and halfway through it, I got on the on-beat instead of the back-beat, and it was hard because all there was non-musicians playing along with us. So I had to put a lot of tape echo to double up the beat to keep a steady beat right through the whole record, so it goes boom-boom, boom-boom, instead of uh, bat, bat. From their bed, with a room full of people, they recorded 
Give peace a chance. This is John and Yoko. This is John and Yoko. No, uh, you have to do it in unison. Okay, one, two, three. This is this John is and Yoko, Yoko from the peace station, peace Montreal. Station. Hi, folks. Peace, hi. peace. Hi, hi. Two, one, two, three, four. <laughs>
Okay, Roger. Well, I think we got the message over, Roger, and I think the message is catching on. The peace message. Chuck, don't you think so, Chuck? The peace message is catching on. Right, he thinks so. And we met a lot of groovy people and made some good contacts. Right? For tomorrow? For tomorrow, who knows? Paul was in the Apple studio producing Jackie Lomax on Thumb and a Ride. Released in the U.S. on June 2nd. With the musical assistance of George Harrison and Little Richard's former organist, Billy Preston. Yes, I'm thumbing a ride. 
21st. 1969, and the ballad of John and Yoko went to number one in Britain and was top ten in this country. Did that give you a feeling of satisfaction and of achievement that you got a great success? We never thought of it. I never like thought that. about it. No, well, I didn't even remember it was remark, number one. <laughs> and in the back of your mind, was there a feeling that John and Yoko by this time definitely wanted to go their own way and create their own no, music? No, we didn't think of it like that. No. It wasn't definitely like that. We were just so busy and involved with things that we were doing, and we got so inspired every minute, you know, and so maybe it just sort of took a natural course. Don't you yeah, think? had the, the Beatles been less tense about it, I understand it all now, but then we saw, she just wanted to join in everything. Jam, you know, you know yeah. just so. join in whatever was going on. So we had no conscious thing about, well, we're here and they're there. We were just making music. You say they were tense, John. Was that because they feared an intervention or because they feared that the two of you would eventually go your own ways and well, that would looking, be it? I don't know whether they were conscious. I think looking back, you understand that before guys very close together and the women had, that we were with then, wives or girlfriends, had been the old-fashioned type of female that we all know and love, you know, the one that was in, no, the, in the kitchen all the time with the baby, <laughs> and babe. she never came to the sessions even. You never saw the wives, only for openings when they did their hair, you know. <laughs> and suddenly we were together all the time, sort of in a corner mumbling and giggling together and doing two virgins and bags, and that Paul, George, and we could say, what the hell are they doing? What's happened to him, you know? And my attention completely went off them. Now, it wasn't deliberate. It was just, I was so involved and intrigued with what we were doing, and then we'd look around and see that, that we weren't being approved. Hmm. But I understand how they felt, because if it had been Paul or George Ringer that had fallen in love with somebody, got totally involved, suddenly it wasn't like, you know, somebody, George, coming in and saying, I'm going to work with Eric Clapton in a band now and screw you. It wasn't that kind of thing at all. It was well, just suddenly this involvement. It wasn't in our consciousness at all. On June 27th, Mike McCartney's band, Scaffold, released a single titled Charity Bubbles with the B-side titled Goose, which features brother Paul on guitar. On Tuesday, July 1st, John Lennon, along with Yoko, his son Julian, and her daughter Kyoko, they were involved in a motor accident while on holiday in Scotland. Cynthia Lennon. It seemed that John had decided on the spur of the moment to take Yoko and the children up to Scotland to meet Mater, Bert, and Stanley in Edinburgh. Mater regaled me with hilarious tales of Yoko's refusing the roast dinner she had prepared, and taking over the kitchen to steam bean sprouts for herself and John. She looked like a witch hanging over a cauldron with all that hair, Mater said. Not a great admirer of Yoko, and concerned at the changes in John. She had cornered him, and demanded to know what he thought he was doing with his life. At some point he'd said, I'm going to take Julian away from sin. Mater was incredulous, and told him in no uncertain terms that there was no way he'd get Julian and that he should put all thoughts of taking him from his mother out of his mind. With Mater's words ringing in his ears, John had taken off in the car with Yoko and the children, and soon afterward landed it in a ditch. Which put them both in hospital for a few days. I was grateful to Mater for speaking up for me, and glad that despite their row, John had sent Julian to her. But his refusal to inform me about what was going on had left me trekking across the Scottish countryside for hours before I discovered the whereabouts and condition of my son, 
The next day, Julian and I flew home. I was still fuming about John's behaviour, but I had grasped that nothing was going to change. I contemplated refusing to allow Julian to visit him, but I knew that I would feel awful if I severed the already tenuous relationship Julian had with his father. So, for the next few months, he continued to visit John and Yoko for occasional weekends. Also on July 1st, the day marked the start of a new, if short-lived, recording era for the Beatles, as George Martin recalls. I was quite surprised when Paul rang me up and said, we're going to make another record, would you like to produce it? And my immediate answer was, only if you let me produce it the way we used to. Um, if I had to go back and accept a lot of instructions, which I don't like, then I won't do it. I can't do it otherwise, I can't do it without your cooperation. And he said, we do want to do that. I said, John included? He said, yes, honestly. And um, he rounded up John and George and Ringo, and we started work on Abbey Road. On the 4th of July, Apple releases another single, this one by the Plastic Ono Band. It's a sincere statement from John, and while some people wrote him off as an idealist, you can hardly argue with his sentiment. It became an anthem for peace lovers around the world. It was recorded in Montreal in room 1742 of the Queen Elizabeth Hotel on a small tape deck by Canadian producer Andre Perry. John Lennon and Yoko Ono turning a slogan into more than a single, but also a political statement. I like Give Peace a Chance for what it was. I couldn't say that was the best song as a song I'd ever written, but I'm always proud of it. I think one of the highest moments was hearing all those people in Washington or wherever it was. I was in England at the time, I came on TV, when the whole anti-war group was singing it. That was one, an emotional moment for me. If you want peace, you won't get it with violence. And any militants listening, just please tell me one militant revolution that worked. You know, I'm sure a few of them took over, but what happened, you know? status quo and if they smash it down who's, who do they think is going to build it up again and then when they built it up again who's going to run it and how they're going to run it you know, they don't look further than their noses it just doesn't seem to work that way you know and c and d were asking us uh, well what other ways can we promote peace you know we've all got gimmicks in us and let them use sex for a change July the 4th, 1969, the Plastic Ono Band single Give Peace a Chance, which was number two in Britain, and I think it's still regarded by a great number of people as being a, a bit of a classic. The B-side, Remember Love, was written by Yoko. Thank you. 
is a chance. Remember love. The only hope for any of us is peace. Violence begets violence. If you want to get peace, you can get it as soon as you like, if we all pull together. You're all geniuses and you're all beautiful. You don't need anybody to tell you who you are or what you are. You are what you are. Get out there and get peace. Think peace, live peace, and breathe peace, and you'll get it as soon as you like, okay? What do you want out of life most of all now, John? Peace, you know. Really, that's all I want. If, if anything happened to you, how would you like people to remember you? As the, the great peaceniks. That, that before your music? Oh, sure. Yeah. Give Peace a Chance, released in the UK July 4th and on July 7th in the US. The Let It Be album and film project had been shelved by this time, and July and August 1969 was spent at the Abbey Road Studios recording a new album. On Sunday, July 6th, Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones dies. On Wednesday, July 9th, at EMI Studios No. 2, the group was set to record Paul's song, Maxwell Silver Hammer. This was John Lennon's first session after his car crash recuperation. Phil McDonald, balance engineer, recalls, We were all waiting for him and Yoko to arrive. Paul, George, Ringo downstairs, and us upstairs. They didn't know what state he would be in. There was a definite vibe. They were almost afraid of Lennon before he arrived because they didn't know what he would be like. I got the feeling that the three of them were a little bit scared of him. When he did come in, it was a relief, and they got together fairly well. John was a powerful figure, especially with Yoko, a double strength. As a couple, John and Yoko certainly were inseparable. Yoko was injured more seriously than John in the crash, and, because she was pregnant, she was ordered to have complete bed rest. To remain by John's side, her bed was brought into the recording studio during the Beatles sessions. Paul McCartney. When she moved the bed in to the what? middle of the recording area. Are you serious? Yeah, no, I am serious. Yeah. You are. It's like, well, okay, you know, we've got to roll with the punches here. It's just a bed and she's lying down and that's okay. Oh, my goodness. So it's like a happening, you know. Stories are legend at Abbey Road of The Bed. And here are two. This one from Martin Benj. We were setting up the microphones for the session and this huge double bed arrived. An ambulance brought Yoko in and she was lowered down onto the bed. We set a microphone over her just in case she wanted to participate and then we all carried on as before. Ron Richards recalls, I popped into the later sessions in number three. The bed was wheeled around between studios two and three, depending on where John was working. And there was Yoko in this blooming double bed. I couldn't believe it. John was sitting at the organ playing and I went up to him and said, what the bloody hell is all this? And he was very touchy about it, so I kept quiet and walked out. Here's the track they recorded that day. John was quizzical, studied by the physical science in the home. Late nights all alone with a test tube.
again Max plays the fool again Teacher gets annoyed Wishing to avoid an unpleasant scene She tells Max to stay when the class is gone away So he waits behind Writing fifty lines I must not be so oh, But when she turns her back on the boy He creeps up from behind Bang, bang, Maxwell Silver Hammer came down Upon her head do, 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 do. Bang, bang, Maxwell Silver Hammer Made sure that she was dead On July 18th, Carlos Mendez releases a single in his native Portugal titled Panina. It is written by Paul McCartney.
Monday, July 21st at EMI Studios number 3, the Beatles worked on a new John Lennon composition. Free was Lennon's voice of any tape echo and any studio tricks. One, two, one, two, three, four. Doris Duckers. Five. Yes. One, two, one, two, three, four. Thank you. 
got something there, George. He's got teenage lyrics. He's got hot rod baldy. On July 23rd at EMI Studios number 3, the Beatles as a group worked on the song simply titled Ending. Thursday, July 24th, at EMI Studios No. 2, Paul McCartney, solo in the studio at 2.30 in the afternoon, before the Beatles' work session at 3.30, recorded a demo for Badfinger. John Lennon was there in the control room. His voice can be heard on the session tape, along with the voice of engineer Phil McDonald.
After Paul recorded this demo all in one hour, the Beatles then worked on Lennon's song, Here Comes the Sun King.
hope you like that trip. On July 25th at EMI Studios Number 2, the Beatles worked for the first time on an entire John Lennon composition called Polythene Pam and an entire Paul McCartney composition called She Came In Through the Bathroom Window and recorded them both as one song. A one, two, three, four. I'm glad you did. Oh, good. Because I had earlier, but I wasn't going to tell. <laughs> the group has been thinking of a title for their new album for some time. One suggestion was Everest, with the idea of them being photographed on top of Mount Everest. But that idea was scrapped. At 10 a.m. on Friday, August 8th, the four Beatles gathered just outside the Abbey Road studios in St. John's Wood, North London, with photographer Ian McMillan. Ian was to photograph them crossing Abbey Road, and that was to be used as the album cover. Because Paul's idea of being different is to look almost straight, but just have his ear painted blue, you know, something a little subtle. We all were a bit like that. We used to go on stage with just, say, one polythene bag on one foot, and nobody might notice it, just us would be laughing. So for Paul, he decided to be barefoot that day, walking across the road. But when you first glance at the album, it looks like the four Beatles or whoever walking across fully dressed. But he just, that's his little gimmick, that's all. We were just uh, wishing the photographer to hurry up and it's getting too pe many people are hanging around. It's going to spoil the shot and let's get out of here. We're meant to be recording, not posing for Beatles pictures, you know. That's all we were thinking. And I was muttering, come on, hurry up now, keep in step. After the photo session, the group had time to kill before their 2.30 p.m. recording session. So Paul took John back to his home at Cavendish Avenue. George and Mal went to the London Zoo at Regent's Park and Ringo went shopping. In the afternoon... Back in good old Studio 2 at Abbey Road, Lennon pulled out the original February 23rd I Want You, She's So Heavy, Trident Master, and added Moog synthesizer effects and white noise, while Ringo overdubbed some drums. Then, on Monday, August 11th, queuing up the April 18th mixdown with all the layered guitars, John, Paul, and George repeatedly overdubbed the She's So Heavy vocal phrase. Well, stuck with two killer versions, John couldn't decide which to release. Finally, after ruminating on it for more than a week, Lennon wound up ordering that the two be edited together, a la Strawberry Fields Forever. So in the end, on August 20th, 1969, was the last time all four Beatles were at EMI's Abbey Road studio together. The final Abbey Road version of I Want You, She's So Heavy was created using the first 4 minutes 37 seconds from the April 18th Take One mixdown and the final three minutes, seven seconds from the original Trident Master. The edit happens just after John sings, She's so... On August 22nd, the last Beatles photo session took place at John and Yoko's new home at Tittenhurst Park in Ascot. They were photographed by Monty Fresco and Ethan Russell. 
Also on August 22nd in the United States, Apple releases the single Hare Krishna Mantra by the Radha Krishna Temple. It is produced by George Harrison. Sometimes there's still people outside the house and I sort of say, well, you know, 
can you leave us alone now? Because, like, we just had a baby, you know. Give yes. us a bit of a chance, you know. How uh, is the baby? Sometimes, she's fantastic, yeah. She's beautiful. She's about the best-looking baby you've ever seen. Yeah. Nicest. Just started on cereal, took every drop. <laughs> For all the mothers and fathers listening. And are you going to have a Mary... Are we going to have a Mary song? I don't know. Soon? I don't know. Yeah. There's, we did a song uh, which has the Mary in it, but... Uh, it's not, it, was, it was written before she was born. Mm. I see. So, I mean, I suppose she's already immortalised in song. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you plan to have a more? Do you want a large family? Oh, yeah, as Would many like as, many as uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'd like to have anything, you know. <laughs> I love kids, you know. Yeah. That was very good, set against the tension of the Beatles' sessions. On August 31st, John, George and Ringo travel to the Isle of Wight Festival to see Bob Dylan. On September 10th, Apple releases the LP, That's the Way God Planned It, by Billy Preston, and features George Harrison as producer. On September 13th, with less than 24 hours' notice, John and Yoko, with Eric Clapton, Klaus Vorman and Alan White, flew to Toronto to appear in a rock and roll revival concert at Varsity Stadium. They rehearsed on the plane. John and Yoko were off to Toronto in September with Eric Clapton, Claus Vorman, and ace drummer Alan White for the Toronto Rock and Roll Revival. The only rehearsing for the gig was during flight time, but the onstage results were spectacular. I decided I didn't want to do any more shows where people paid me to stand up and sing, you know. And so then I had to find reasons to perform if I wanted to perform, and they were usually... The t Toronto thing was one-off, somebody called me, so there's a rock and roll revival, do you want to come? And it was like Friday night, and I just called Eric Clapton, all those different musicians, and we rehearsed on the plane and performed in Toronto, just for fun, you know. Get your matches ready. Ladies and gentlemen, the Plastic Ono Band! Toronto welcomes the Plastic Ono Band! Toronto, Brower and Walker present the Plastic Ono Band. Give peace a chance. Give peace a chance. Well, it's a one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready now. Go, get, go, go. Step on that loose switch. 
in September. The Lennons were again sniffing heroin. Sad but true, their hard drug use went on sporadically for another three years. Lennon wrote Cold Turkey after withdrawing Cold Turkey that summer and performed it publicly for the first time on September 13th at the Rock and Roll Revival concert in Toronto. Upon John and Yoko's arrival back from Toronto, it is announced on September 19th that ATV obtained 50% of the shares of Northern Songs Limited. On Saturday, September 20th, at Apple offices on Savile Row, the Beatles and Alan Klein hold a meeting to discuss ATV and the battle to control Northern Songs. It is at this meeting that Paul suggested that the group put all the business issues aside and have the Beatles go back on the road and play small venues to promote the new album. John thought he was daft. Paul McCartney. One day I came in, we had a meeting, it was all Apple and business and Alan Klein and it was getting very hairy and no one was really enjoying themselves. It was, we'd forgotten the music bit, it was just business. And I came in one day and I said, I think we should get back on the road. Small band, go and do the clubs, sod it, let's get back to square one, let's remember what we're all about, let's get back. And uh, John's actual words are, I think you're daft, and I wasn't going to tell you, but we're breaking the group up. I'm breaking the group up. He said, it feels good, it feels like a divorce. And he just sat there, and our jaws dropped. And that was it, really. And nobody quite knew what to say. And we sort of then, after that statement, we then thought, well, give it a couple of months. We may decide. I mean, it's a little bit of a big act to just break up like that. You know, we'll give it a couple of months. It might just all come back. Because actual fact, what we were doing was signing contracts. As John was saying, I wasn't going to tell you till we'd done this contract. And there were all sorts of weird little things like that, which Klein was getting him into. We were in Apple, and I just, on the way over to, I knew before I went to Toronto, I told Alan I was leaving. I told Eric Clapton and Klaus that I was leaving, and I'd like to probably use them as a group, you know. I hadn't decided how to do it. Uh, to have a permanent new group or or what and then I, I, later on I thought I'm not going to get stuck with another set of people you know whoever they are so but I, I announced it to myself and to the people around me on the way to Toronto the few days before and on the plane Alan came with me I told Alan you know it's over Lennon's announcement never made it to the press because of the newly negotiated royalty contract they had signed with EMI on the 25th, John and Paul finally lost control of Northern Songs. And the following day, the new album was released in Britain. Abbey Road coming next. Or to contact the show, visit yesterdayandtodaypodcast.wordpress.com or email at yesterdayandtodaypodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at yesterdaypod on Twitter and search Yesterday and Today Podcast on Facebook. See you next time. I'm Paul Kaminsky. And I'm James Kaminsky. And we are the co-hosts of the Third Men Podcast. We are a Jack White history podcast where we go over the White Stripes, Third Man Records, the list goes on. And occasionally, we do a funny voice or two. So you're going to probably want to get used to that. Or turn it off. Whatever your preference. Or whatever turns you on. (laughs) Hey now. 
you're an all-star, because occasionally we'll do an all-star podcast. We did do an entire Smash Mouth episode once, that is true. <laughs> we are every other week on Wednesdays, and we are available on iTunes and really wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so why don't you come on and find yourself a little home here with us? We promise we'll be weird roommates. If I want to do the dishes without my pants on, that's my deal. That was weird, see? We weren't even <laughs> lying.